0: Right, sweet, I'm pretty excited to do this next Mando review, but before we get started, Horns, can we finally take our helmets off for this one?
1: Yeah, Nate. I-, I would take mine off, but I've actually been told by several people this past week that I'm incredibly ugly looking.
2: Mmm. This is the way.
1: Welcome in to the Bro Force Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. This is our review of The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 5, titled The Pirate. It's also Chapter 21. One thing that confuses me about this show is they have each episode numbered, but then the season and episode number, but Season yeah. 3, Episode 5, titled The Pirate. I'm your host, the Mayor, Jeff Hornacek, joined by the mad scientist Brian Banner and the American hero, Nate Thurman, to review this TV episode as we do all of our television episodes using the four Bro4Squad criteria, which is the acting, the story, our favorite scene, and then theories and questions going forward. Let's begin with the acting, guys. Probably the most Mandalorians we've gotten in an episode, not only this season, but maybe in the show. Pretty close to that, so... What did we think, Nate? You can go first. How did things work for you this episode?
0: Um, man, overall, just to start off, like this episode like brought me back into the season. Um, it, it was fine up until this point, but like this one had everything I wanted. Um, so we'll obviously get into that and in plot theories and best scenes and all that kind of stuff. So, I'll stick with the acting and cast. And um, obviously a, a big, uh, a, a big focus point on this one was Captain Teba. And uh, played by Paul Sun-Hyung Lee. Um, and I liked him being sprinkled in. I think this is probably his third episode he's been in. Um, but for some reason, he he's really killing it in this role for me. And it's like really subtle though. But it seems like he's really comfortable in this role. He knows what he's doing. He knows, knows what he's supposed to do be doing. And he's not like an imposing figure. He's not the guy who's going to go out and like kick some ass, like hand-to-hand combat or anything. But he knows that. But yeah, he, he doesn't he just,
1: look like what you would think an X-Wing pilot would look like, which I really like.
0: No, exactly. So it's kind of almost comical um, in that sense. But uh, he's doing he's doing a great job in this. He's he's playing very confident. Um, he just wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing by people. He wants to help people. Um, and he's like I said, he's just really developed into this role really well. And so I'm glad they had like a full episode where he was like 50 percent of the plot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he really stood out for me in that. And then, wh- the honorable mention that I'll throw out here, and Brian, you'll like this too, because we got to see Zeb, yep, in live action from Rebels. Um, so he's seen talking to uh, Captain Teva in the in the bar before Teva heads off to Coruscant, um, and Zeb is one of the pilots from um, Rebels with a badass like bow uh, bow rifle or whatever in the series. He is a
2: Lasat, and yeah. Uh, is that what Chewie shoots?
1: Uh, no, his is his is
2: actually cooler than Chewie's. If I'm to be honest with you, is this like oh. Omegas from Bad Batch? No,
0: it's no. even yeah, it's different from that too. It's different
2: from that too. It's uh, like a it's like a crossbow sword.
0: Oh shit! But this yeah. is one of the cool things that we're seeing more and more with live action now, from Clone Wars and Rebels with Ahsoka and so on and so forth. We're seeing them sprinkle these people in. I thought that was the perfect introduction. It was small, subtle and uh, they got the same voice actor steve bloom to do his voice in this as well so um, horns whenever you get around to seeing rebels you'll be able to get a little more context for him but seeing zeb in here was really
1: cool yeah that's coming up i I love how filoni was such a key component on a lot of the animated series that now that he's doing the live-action shows, yeah, there's just that easy crossover. Like he, I mean, obviously, canon is something Star Wars does a really good job with anyway, but he has more of a, an affinity for these and love for these characters because he probably created a lot of them or had a hand in it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we saw it with Cad Bane. We've seen it with uh, maybe in reverse order with um, what was Ming Na Wen's character? Fennec. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just really cool to see that sort of like cross-pollination. Vayner, how about you? Uh,
2: Yeah, this was my favorite episode of the season so far. Um, Like Nate said, I'm not going to say I was out on the season, but like I wasn't excited to see what was coming next because honestly there wasn't really an expectation. It was just like, okay, that was an episode, now what? Uh, This episode brought me back. It had great action. It had uh, a lot of emotion in it. They had a... Awesome cameo, which didn't need to happen, but I'm glad that it did. Um, and they kind of set the stage for what we're going to see in the the second half of the season. Um, I, my cast that I'm going to talk about today is uh Carl Weathers. I fucking hate Carl Weathers. <laughs> wow. I, um, but he's owning it, he is owning the screen. When he's on it, I'm like, okay. let me
1: Real quick, how much do you hate him because of that one interview we saw where he was just like insanely arrogant about this?
2: I mean, that's probably like 70% of it.
1: That's fair. That's that's fair, because I was like shocked. If, If those of you who don't know, when they did the making of... By the way, did they do it for season two of The Mandalorian, the making of?
2: Maybe? I don't remember.
1: Well, season one, they did like that round table thing for each episode. And whatever episode he had debuted in, he basically said like... When Star Wars called me, I said, "You know, if you want this," referencing himself, not at all as a joke. He said, "I mean, w- there needs to be a meaty character for me to play." And I wanted to be like, "Are we talking about the same Carl Weathers? Like, dude, you're not getting a lot of work. <laughs> like, what are we? Yeah, you're- you can't really be
0: commanding."
2: On the flip <laughs> well, right. side, they did give him a character that actually has a little bit of meat on the bone, season over season over season. Um, yeah, and I wonder the if episodes that he directed. Stuff have been great i actually think the last episode was one that he directed yeah uh and he's done he's done a good job
1: for sure um the only thing i'll add sorry did you have anything else just still hate him okay (laughs) the only thing that i'll add i love this person typically but it really just felt like stunt casting it took me out of that scene and that's tim meadows appearing as colonel tuttle yeah, yeah, I get it. Kind of a superfluous scene, if you think about it. I know that we needed Elijah um, Kane in there to sort of plant the seeds of like clearly, sh- like, oh, I'm going down to get coffee. <laughs> you need anything? Like, okay, you didn't overhear that uh, we're about to go to Grief Cargo's planet. No, I was just getting lattes. Why is there something going on there? Um, but he's a great actor. I just it, kind of the same way uh, when Jason Sudeikis voiced that Stormtrooper in season one. Like, I like that these guys are in the Star Wars universe, but I just can't see them. I don't It just feels like it's weird. I feel like it's Tim Meadow in, like, an SNL digital short about Star Wars, not, like, in a Star Wars show.
2: It's just like anytime you hear Wanda Sykes on any animated anything, it's Wanda Sykes. It's not that character.
1: And she's obviously in Bad Batch right now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, The one thing I did really like, too, was uh, the—and I'll get into this in my best scene—but, like— the Mandalorians, they've started to flesh out at least a bit of their motivations, like Paz Vizsla. And the IMDb cast says he's played by Tate Fletcher, but I felt like it sounded like Favreau.
2: I always thought it was Favreau.
1: Yeah, I thought it was too, but maybe this maybe, is just... Is it a
2: Favreau does the voice, but that's the guy that does the... That's like, the
1: stand-in actor, that the physical actor. Yeah. armor. Yeah. Very possible. And the last thing I'll say... is just Boris, call it
2: Tate Fav Favreau. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, like G- Gorian Shard, who's like the, uh, you know, Davy Jones swamp monster pirate guy who basically mm-hmm. just looks like a bunch of marijuana plants that are, you know, now sentient. I just love the look of that character. It doesn't feel very Star Wars. It feels very Pirates of the Caribbean. But anytime he's in this, he emotes very well for being like a swamp monster and thing. And I just think he's really fun. So I'm glad he was back in the show. And he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to story and plot. IMDb has the synopsis for Season 3, Episode 5, The Pirate as... The people of Navarro need protection from rampant pirate attacks. And I just wrote down as sort of a summation. Pirates threaten Navarro. The New Republic won't help. I think for good reason. Like, sign the fucking treaty, bro, and we'll help you out. And Captain Teva enlists the Mandalorians. So... Again, very finally, very Mandalorian heavy. Not that things have been, you know, frustrating. They've been interesting so far. But I think Banner, like you said, this just kind of went from six to midnight for me with the story. And uh, you can. I'm really, really interested, especially with how the episode ends, as to what's going to happen with this Mandalorian Guild. Because right now things are going fucking great, right? Nothing can ever go wrong.
2: Yeah, they have a home now, right?
1: They're welcome. They just had a big victory. They're trusted again. Yeah, what's at, what's the what's the square mileage on the East Lava
0: Plains to the whatever canyon? What are we what are we working with?
2: Well, the worst part is that it washes out every monsoon season.
1: Ah, see, that's what that's what Carga didn't tell them. They yeah. don't mention that when you sign the lease. <laughs> yeah, you find yeah. that out afterwards. You
2: think they're going to be able to plant flowers?
1: <laughs> Please, oh, they're going to have to be fake. So, Banner, the story for you again. We get a little more movement in the plot. We have three episodes left. I think both in terms of action set pieces, it was badass, and then. Now we finally have at least a little bit of an inkling of uh, where they're taking this for the last three episodes.
2: Yeah. um, Again, this episode had everything I wanted. It had a little bit of mystery. Um, It left us on a cliffhanger. We had some great action stuff. There's some huge character development um, with Bo-Katan and her being uh, accepted to – or being able to, to remove her helmet to essentially recruit. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more, I think, in theories and questions. Um, and they're kind of bringing it back to a few seeds that they planted earlier in the season with Moff Gideon. Uh, the Mandalorians are a force to be reckoned with. We've always known that, but they finally showed us that, right?
1: Yeah, we've always like heard legend of it.
2: Yeah. And so this was a great way to see that come to fruition and really go, oh, wow, yeah, they are a bunch of fucking badasses
1: they work well together as well they're, yeah. they're very well they they everyone shows up to practice yep so nate how about you
0: uh yeah there was some of my notes on this lots of development <clears throat> so there's a ton of shit going on here um all very pertinent to the overarching story i think um the, the scene you mentioned earlier with tim meadows you know, it kind of was a throwaway scene um except for the end where uh Teva's, te, Teva says, hey, shit's happening, and by the time you guys react, it's going to be too late. So right. I like that little sprinkle-in line there at the end, kind of a throwaway line, but it's kind of preluding, like, hey, the First Order is rising. This is what's what's happening. So we're fir- first starting to get those rumblings. Um, so that, that was kind of a cool moment where we're getting that First Order forming and all that. So um, Mandalorians, yeah, coming back and fighting back in full force and like seeing like, how cohesive they are. And like they are kind of in their own, like, convent by themselves like still practicing keeping up training and all that right fuck they're like still top notch they didn't they didn't take a step back at all
2: no rust Uh, on those joints
0: no they uh they they are kicking ass um which i'm sure we'll get to a little later in best scene that Uh, is
1: a really interesting point you bring up that i almost didn't realize about the scene with colonel tuttle played by tim meadows where it mm -hmm. almost feels like the republic is like really taking a long victory lap after they defeated the empire and he's like dude well we're fucking celebrating like having cookouts like they're still yeah like there are factions of the empire like they still have enough resources to be a threat to us they're basically like what the rebel alliance was to the empire now just the role for sure mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of fun like seeing those parallels um but yeah that's like the first
0: line in the whole series that you've seen something like actually recognizing the first order rising. So that was cool. And I, I like that point. Um You can yeah. almost
2: tell that captain Tarva, like he, he understands how a rebellion grows and builds. And mm-hmm. he sees that the empire can very easily do exactly what they had just done. And yeah. he's trying to warn these people that just don't understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which goes back to my point about his, the acting of, um a lee on this like he's doing such a good job he's a, hu- a very important cog in this but like i said he's not an intimidating fi- figure he's not a great fighter F- fighter pilot yes um in his x-wing uh but like on on ground he's not like face to face like very intimidating. but like he knows how things are working he's getting this weird feeling in his gut so he's trying to warn everyone but no one's listening um, but along with that, yeah, Bo Katan rising up through the ranks pretty quickly. Um, so that's when they're gonna add some intrigue and interesting moments later on throughout throughout the episode. So um yeah, really excited to see where this is going. And we'll get into a little more of that and theories and
1: questions though, of some things I got. Yeah, I uh have a couple questions at the end. All right. Ready to move on to best scene. Let's do it. All right, so I'll go first, and I'm going to leave the obvious one for you guys. But one that I actually <laughs> enjoyed, sort of the calm before the storm, was the Mandalorian campfire that they had. That was before. my
0: honorable mention.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's basically like the pregame speech that Ray Lewis would give, you know, the Ravens. It was good. Before they came out. And I, I thought it was interesting to see like how the Mandalorians, especially with this group, you got to give them a lot of credit. They have been a fractured people, a broken people, people without a home. But when they need to and they can find a common goal, they're still able to rally the troops and everyone kind of put their differences aside. And also, I will say this. As far as, like, Honor goes, like, they really, uh, they're really, they really good at the IOUs. Like, if they owe you a favor, they'll get you back. So they're the type of people that I would, like, let borrow. Yeah, you can borrow my, you know, fucking Nintendo Switch game because you know you're <laughs> going to get it back from them. Yeah. Yeah. The way they work. So that was a cool scene. Obviously, Paz Vizla setting up, like, You could sort of see where he was going with it, but it was still cool where he was like, this guy's a piece of shit, but I know I can trust him because he saved my kid even though we were beefing with each other. Um, Yeah. And it was also just really interesting after we have the context of the way the episode ends with the Armorer's conversation with Bo-Katan. I'm really curious, and I have no clue really where a lot of this is going, over the different motivations of both Bo-Katan, the Armorer, and Paz Vizsla. Because the Armorer... I don't really understand the hierarchy. Like, does she just make the the armor for them? But she's also, like, the, sort of like the godmother or, like, the conscience, but she does not technically in charge. Yeah, almost like an oracle figure. Yeah. The vibe I'm getting. Yeah, but she has, like, a lot of pull. And then, like, why is she – we'll get into this at the end. But, like, that campfire scene kind of sets up, like, why has she been positioning Bo-Katan so much? Or did it all just really stem from Bo-Katan saying – I saw the Mythosaur BT-dubs. Like, I don't know if I mentioned that. She was like, oh, yeah shit, really. i mean I, I think that that is kind of the driving factor behind it just because I,
0: it's probably some um some mythical calling from lore ancient mandalore lore that's a weird thing to say um but yeah oh he, this is the this is the chosen one once they see the myth, mythosaur so yeah that's probably what's going what it's going off of the best she drinks
2: life. it's almost like she drinks the kool-aid a little too much yeah and so when Katan says oh hey I saw that she's like oh well then yeah that's this is what has to happen to secure our people's future
1: and Bo-Katan this is like a Jeremy Lin Lin Sanity situation like has anyone had a hotter two and a half weeks than she has since joining the Mandalorians I mean she's on fire everything she touches turns (laughs) to gold great things are happening since she showed up it's like she can do no wrong it's been an incredible run for her really very true All right, Nate, what was your uh,
0: best scene? Um, I mean, the the crown jewel of of this episode was the the Mando fight scene. Um, They come in Navar. uh, uh, Bogotan drops the main group of Mandos off uh, out of the gauntlet, which is fucking badass. They've got like it's like from whenever they dropped in until like through the end of that scene, it was like straight military grade. Oh, yeah tactical fighting like they were doing like the hand signals and everything they were watching each other's backs like drop out like paratroopers out of, out of the gauntlet um but it, it was badass and like you were saying earlier horns like we haven't we've heard about like how badass of fighters they are so we're we're now getting to see it in live action um and you can tell they've been waiting for this for a while um very methodical um and the way it was shot was cool too there were a lot of cool overhead shots where you're seeing like the, the lasers being shot around which isn't Really, a view you get much. It's usually like ground level or maybe a little elevated, but it was like straight over the top and seeing all the laser fire was really cool. um And then, just like getting hunkered down, almost getting caught in a trap, uh, and then working themselves out of it. Um, and then the armor infiltrating the, the building. God. Uh, which, without any guns or anything, but it's kind of one of those things you just accept as kind of like she's kind of mythical almost um you're like of course she can inf- infiltrate the building and sneak in and no one notice her and then she just kicks ass it's kind of one of those things that you accept and
1: you're fine with um but that was that was a really cool scene all throughout yeah very visually well done everything on that planet one of the best lit battles we've had since mm-hmm. like episode one probably on nabu which is really cool like yep. it, you could see everything perfectly i do have one critique that i'm gonna i'm gonna say after i let banner go just in case he mentions it banner what was your favorite scene
2: so my favorite scene was actually the air battle uh that was kind of going on at the same time this in my opinion captures kind of a this is probably the best dual battle uh scene that we've gotten since return of the jedi which obviously is a whole nother level we're not even playing the same sport uh with right with the three different battles and uh with endor the space battle and the lightsaber battle on the Death Star. But this one, kind of going back between the two, I thought was really, really well done. You felt both stakes of both fights moving up, moving up, moving up, and then kind of a culmination. We get the the ground crew is successful, but more specifically, the uh, in the air, this wasn't a space battle. This was like a true, like, plain dogfight battle. Yeah, it was
1: like on planet, you know? Yeah,
2: which was really cool. Um, and then... Not only that, but then – and this may be because of uh, the character just being in that little, like, seaweed ghillie suit. He looks very Pirates of the Caribbean, but when they brought his ship down, it was very, very much reminding me of, like, an old-school pirate battle and one of the ships finally sinking down into the depths of the water. It was so many parallels, so well done. Um, Yeah, I just – I really enjoyed – all of that
1: that's a good analogy i was getting vibes of like <clears throat> star fox 64 when you oh, like yeah. when you yeah. like blow up the like a villain and like their face pops up on the screen he's like oh ah, no <laughs> <laughs> like his ship blows up one critique about that scene though that i have to have it was fucking incredible but when paz visla drops in with like the laser machine gun so yes. badass but dude, where was the score in that point? I was expecting like a banger instrumental to come over and it was weak as shit. I was like, dude, this is where you really should have upped things, Ludwig van Gorensen, and this is the first time you've dropped the ball that I can remember. It was like some soft-ass violin tone. That should have been like this epic grand orchestral number. And I don't know, what I was seeing on screen was not being matched by what I was hearing. It was really disappointing for me and I thought like, kind of took the wind out of my sails in that moment because I was ready to, like, fucking start doing push-ups in my living room. and <laughs> was just, there were, The music just wasn't there. I don't know. Where the hell was it? I don't know if you noticed that, but go back and check it out. Once Vizsla drops in, it's like, damn, bro, like, hmm. you had me.
0: Yeah, that's that's one thing I'm bad about noticing, like, actually listening to the music behind. So I, I didn't hear it, but,
1: yeah, that's weird that they didn't match up um, for what a big fight scene it was. I was just thinking like in a Marvel movie, when like a character shows up who like you weren't expecting, like the score is always like really what truncates that entrance or like accentuates that appearance. And when Visla dropped in, I mean, we had all the ingredients for it; we just didn't have the, yeah. the the score behind it.
2: Yeah, we didn't. We didn't get that big boom, that big crescendo. Right. I mean, it's almost like when the beat drops, right?
1: Oh, exactly. Should
2: have, and it didn't.
1: When the beat drops, you fudged up. Yep. All right, ready to move on to the last part, theories and questions. Let's get it. Do it. it. All right. Uh, Let me go first with a question, because since I didn't watch Rebels, you guys might be able to answer this one for me. Um, So I think I get it, but I guess I don't really get what the armorer's plan is here. And then, Nate, you kind of alluded to this more specifically. What exactly is the justification slash the benefit for letting Bo-Katan walk around without her helmet now? For the
0: first part of the question, what the overall plan is, um, I think they want to basically just get Mandalore back. Um, And I think to the second part of that, and Banner can chime in after, um, why she's letting her take her helmet off so so she can appeal to people when she tries to recruit them. Um, If she is pinned down in this new uh, convent that they're in where they don't remove their helmets, it may be – alienating or isolating her from some other groups of mandos that are out there that she could ultimately recruit um so she just wanna, wants to it's kind of, i don't know kind of a cheat she's just like hey take your helmet off for this no one else does it yeah but we're gonna do it for this
1: so the recruiting of mandalorians like are we talking about getting foundlings or are we talking about like other mandalorians like in a different sect like the one she was hanging out with previously that just walked around with their helmets off trying to get them back to join yeah, Mandalorians. Because yeah, I, I I'm confused why she wants them in. I thought those people were, like, disowned.
2: I think that she... The Armorer sees her as the bridge between different Mandalorians. That she's the only person that's going to be able to unite all these different factions. Them that don't take their helmets off. The people that left Bo-Katan. Maybe um, Death Watch. There's a couple of other factions that we've learned throughout the animated series. And... She is that glue that's going to bring them all together. Well, she has to be able to appeal to all of them. She's proven that she'll leave her helmet on. She got permission to take it off now. And if she can train the Mythosaur as that one legendary guy did, she's the one that can unite them all. And the fact that she has seen the Mythosaur maybe makes you think that she's, she's the one.
1: Okay, and then the sell for the armor to be like, "Hey, it's cool, guys. She has my permission to do this to this clan." Is like, well, look at how well she's proved herself the last you know couple of weeks, right? Like she's
2: yeah. Baked. I think it's a hey. She's proven that she's one of us. You guys trust me. I trust her. So this is what we have to do.
0: Yeah, this is like the pizza party at the end of the week when you hit your sales quota.
1: Like, <laughs> hey, you've done great. You can take your helmet off. Yeah, there's but two slices each, guys. Jesus, there's twenty of us. Come on. Yeah, come on. Not animals.
2: We're looking at you, Randy.
1: Not Randy. naming names, Randy. Banner, what do you got? Theories and questions.
2: Um. So, I th- that was one of mine. Is I think Bo-Katan is going to go and try and tame the mythosaur. Um. Then she is going to turn around and challenge Din for the dark I feel like she wants
1: that thing more than anything.
2: I think she does too, but I also think that. The Mandalorian. She will gain a lot of respect in other cells if she has the dark
1: Do the other Mandalorians know that Din has it?
2: I feel like they have to, right?
1: Like the like the group he's joined. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, because he. Yeah, because the armorer knows, and Paz Vizsla knows, because he was he was the one that he fought. He just never fucking used season. It. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he's like episode one of this <laughs> season. He still, he still seemed awkward with it. He hasn't like taken the time yeah, to actually like what. commit and like learn. So no, he doesn't
2: believe that he I, – I don't – it's – yeah.
0: They I think it's about it is. you have
2: to be like believe that you deserve it and you have to like work with it, not against it.
1: Yeah, there was a whole speech the armorer gave to him last season, but I can't remember.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like he can throw 99. He just doesn't know where it's going. Yeah. No. It's going to be eight feet outside. Yeah,
2: just a bit outside. Just a bit.
0: Uh, all right, Nate. Did you have anything? Uh, yeah, I've got one. Uh, I've got a couple, but they all tie into the same thing. So we'll we'll just jump to the end um, with the with the moth Gideon shit. So obviously, where the f is right, moth Gideon? Right. Um, yeah. We we don't know, um, but there there are two ways I can see this going as far as where I think it's going to go or where it could go uh, logically. So uh, Moff Gideon was a part of destroying Mandalore. So um, there could be some Mandalorians that are still loyal to him. Um, So maybe they went and try to capture him from, um, from the new Republic and they're trying to build something up with Moff Gideon heading it. Um, and so we obviously saw the Beskar fragment in, in the, in the ship. Um, so that's kind of one direction. I think it could go some loyal, old loyal Mandalorians trying to save Moff Gideon or on the flip side, it could be a ton of Mandalorians wanting in there and to take him to do their own justice. They don't want him going to trial. Like he was going to go. They want some old West um, tough justice.
2: squad shit. Yeah. They, they right. want,
0: they want to handle it themselves. So, obviously polar opposite ends of the spectrum, but that's kind of where I see this could be going. One of those two directions.
2: I I disagree. disagree.
1: I'm way more interested in the first of those two options. Where the Mandos are are loyal to him and trying to build something up. Right. Like I'm wondering, and my theory is, I'll get to this at the end of who it could be, but um, I'm way more interested in like someone wanting to work with him than the Mandalorians just kind of wanting to kill him on their own. That's to me, not as. Yep. Yep. Sorry, Banner. What were you saying?
2: I think that Gideon was saved by Gideon's people. He obviously is very high in the Empire, so he's going to have the loyalists to him. I think the whole thing was staged having the Beskar there. It is a bit
1: sloppy for the Mandalorians, right?
2: Yes, it is. And I think that this is now, obviously, uh, Tarva knows, oh, hey, that's Beskar. Beskar is the Mandalorians. They attacked the New Republic. And I think that this is Gideon's attempt to try and pit the New Republic up against the Mandalorians, because the, the New Republic is still very young and fragile at this point, I would say. And if, can they survive an attack by arguably the greatest warriors in the galaxy, in the Mandalorians, who just proved that, like, hey, we can take down some some pirates, no problem. So what's the new the New Republic? Um, so I think that this is a way to pit the two of them together to destroy one or the other, and somehow Ahsoka is going to have to be the one trying to broker a deal between the two factions.
1: Yeah, I keep forgetting that Ahsoka has been alluded to by Dave Filoni and Favreau as like being in this series, this yes, season. Yeah. So I haven't even thought about that, actually.
0: So I guess I want to take a step back here and kind of analyze this. The the beskar that's in the in the wall. So, beskar is like one of the strongest materials
1: known in the universe. So and supposedly, like I don't know if the Mandalorians are the only ones with access to it, but they appear to be the only ones who can like ref- mold it into. It's like their signature metal. Yeah, yeah. So if there's a shard
0: of this stuck in a wall somehow, how did it break off of whatever it was on? Did it take some an, another beskar weapon? clashing I, with Beskar armor to to chunk off.
2: I was thinking maybe it was like a Beskar bullet because that could definitely breach the whole of you whatever. You say bullet? Ship. Yeah.
1: Is that something yeah. we've been introduced to? Did we I don't all, know. Did we actually see what the piece
0: was? It was tough. To, I mean, it just looked like a, a shard of metal for yeah, the best, so best of my fun. knowledge.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Something implanted in the, like, the back wall.
1: Yeah. So that, that, that's kind of my question. Like,
2: remember, who was it? Mom?
1: Who had that Beskar steel like spear earlier in the series? It was Mando. Mando. Had it. Yeah. Okay. And do we know where that went? Like, I'm wondering if someone has that, and that could have been what broke the Beskar steel.
2: I feel like he gave it to her to melt down for something. Hmm. But but I was I might actually thinking. Made that yeah, up. I was
1: thinking about that earlier
0: because in the last episode of season two, he he fought Moff Gideon with it. But yeah, I don't know. He got the lightsaber, the dark saber.
1: And I know he had both
2: at one point.
1: Yeah, at the end of season two, he definitely what? did. Did he give uh, the armor something to make Grogu's chain mill with? Yes. And that might be.
2: That might have been what it was. then.
0: What it was. Because Vander yeah, saying that kind of made me think. It was like, well, I think he did. It
1: was like sentimental. He gave something to make that chain mill. Right. Hmm. The best gifts are ones that come from the heart. We all know that. Of Course, um, man, that's really interesting. I hadn't actually thought about like what again, like Vayner said, it does look a little sloppy to have the best car there, but also it could be a great plot device to get our theory. And what makes it more sloppy is the dialogue,
0: honestly, because he says, Is that best car? He's like, What are you saying? He was taken by the
1: Mandalorians, like, like they're really spoon feeding it to us. Very,
0: very on the nose there. <laughs> Thanks.
1: So, I had written down, um, and Nate, this kind of ties into what you were saying. These are basically, for me, the three most obvious choices of who could have freed Moff Gideon, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out who has the most motive. Number one, I first thought uh, the armor, just because she sort of seems to be, maybe puppet master's the wrong word, but she has some sort of plan that she would like to see enacted. But I almost feel like she knows that she can't be too involved, so maybe if she's like on the periphery of someone who did it. The other one I was thinking is past Vizla, mainly because he seems to be one leading A different faction of Mandalorians but I don't know exactly his group's relationship to Moff Gideon like Banner said are they sympathizers or do they just basically want him so they can torture him on their own and then the third one because I don't think Bo-Katan is involved although I could be wrong could be her uh, former clan that basically told her to go fuck off and when she tried to do her own solo album the ones who left her that we had seen previously could they have either some reason to want to free Moff Gideon or are they basically like heroes for hire at this point? And maybe someone from the remnants of the empire uh, enlisted them and paid them or gave them some promise if they could free Moff Gideon. Those are my three leadings leaders. So the the, the last one, the third one, you're referring to clan Kriz. Yeah. But are they still, con- that's Bo-Katan's last name, right? Is that why they have that title?
0: Yeah. But yep. great. So yeah.
1: would they probably want to rebrand themselves now? Potentially. Yeah. But the same people. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So I think that's
0: probably the most likely out of those. It's just tough with the first two, the armor and past visla just because they've been in the episode so much. Like when did they sneak away? They've already said they don't have ships, so that would be tough for mm, them to, to get true. anywhere. Um, they obviously, I think they would have motivation. Um, but I think it would be t- tough for them to explain how they got up there. So I think the last well, what, option is very plausible. Though. Yeah, I
2: think I think the last option is is the most likely and the easiest for me to buy if came to fruition.
1: The yeah. only thing I could think with Paz Vizsla and or the armor would be, and I don't know if this is, a, again, completely against like Mandalorian ethics, but if someone from like the remnants of the Empire came to them and said, we'll offer you, I don't know, a new homeworld or something if you can free Moff Gideon. Would they would would that appeal to them, or are they to the point of, like, you guys have basically enslaved the galaxy. We don't work with you. I don't know where their, like, moral compass lies. I think they could definitely b-
0: provide motivation for them um, because, yeah, the, all the Mandos have been without a home for so yeah. long. They don't have a home planet. They don't – so and, and it makes sense even more tying in this episode because it's such a huge deal that Karga gave them a, a plot of land to live on. Now you have a home. You have a place to call home. You have a place to stay. Um, so if that's what it was from the, from the empire or from the rising of the first order, um,
1: that'd make total sense. Imagine if that is the case and you're one of the Mandalorians who like killed innocent people free to free Moff Gideon. And now you get like this home gifted to you the next (laughs) week. You're like, Oh fuck. Well, I wish I would have known this. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Hindsight's
2: 2020 though, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
1: What's that reality show where the guy like shows up and gives people a home? What was it called again? I don't know that one. Well, that basically. Like with like, the bus? Yeah, the bus shows up. Oh, the dude. bus? Yeah. That was. Uh... Oh, I can't remember. Everyone else screaming in their car, but whatever. It would be like if that happened to the Mandalorians, but before, like a week before they committed an atrocity because to get like a farmland. And they're like, oh, fuck. I wish it would have. No, this mm-hmm. was going to happen before I murdered that guy who was guarding Moff Gideon. Hindsight. Oh, well. All right, that's all I got. Anything else you guys want to share? Or... No, that was about it for me. I've no, uh,
2: tanks. yeah, just glad Grogu took a little bit of a back seat in this one. Yeah, still, still very much there, and I'm fine with that. But I, I was ready to get away from him being a foundling and like what, what's gonna, what is what's good. What does his future look like? This was nice to step away from that a little bit. Yeah,
1: Grogu is a definite plus in this show. Like, obviously, he's he's you know beloved, but it's he's also Gro- like. He's also much better if he's, like, your third best player. You know, you don't want him taking 25 shots a game. Yeah. He can be distracting. Yeah. And I think also it's, like, he only has one speed, which is basically, like, as, like, the cute, like, humorous character. So, like, you know what you're getting from him. And in overabundance, it's like, well, that's not really what I think the show is. So maybe just keep it.
2: uh, I would be fine if they did a show maybe 30 years in the future He can actually talk. He's more like Yoda. And this is him dealing with uh, Din's death.
1: Oh, shit. I thought
2: you were going to say puberty.
1: That, too. His voice is cracking. They're one (laughs) and the same. Um,
2: I'm wondering,
1: like, obviously, we know so little about Yoda's race. Like, when do you think he starts to develop speech abilities? Because in, like, human, let's just say, like, human development, is he, like, what, two right now? Uh, man, that's a great. Nah, question. I think
2: he's older than that. I, I'd say I think he's a mute, personally.
1: Oh really? But he's made like noises, right? That is true.
2: Yeah, mute people make noises. They don't talk, right?
1: Like it's <laughs> like, not a mute people
2: grunt. Also, that's
1: not a topic I know enough about to talk about. Maybe he took like a vow of silence, like a monk or something.
2: Yeah,
1: that could be it. But like age five,
2: maybe he's just weird.
1: Maybe it's just weird. Maybe has a really strong Swedish accent that he's embarrassed to use.
2: I'd be embarrassed also.
1: (laughs) He's like, no one else sounds like me. I don't want to talk. (laughs) All my friends will sound like me. (laughs) All right, that's a good, I think, place to end. Right for yeah, yeah. Swedish Grogu. Swedish Grogu. All right. Any closing thoughts, Nate? So now that we have three episodes left, are you? We were never like out on this show at all, but. My interest went from, yes, I'm interested each week to watch this to now, like, I'm counting down the days till Wednesday. Yeah, I think they're really going to kick it into
0: a new gear these last three episodes. They kind of have to. Um, But, like I said, this episode had a ton of stuff and a ton of movement. Um, So, super excited to see
1: what the last three episodes are. Yeah. Banner, how about you?
2: I just have a weird tickle in my balls that... These last three episodes are going to blow us away even more than Luke showing up. Uh, spoilers for the end of season two. Um, I mean,
0: you kind of you kind of have that in the back of your mind because they did such a yeah, huge fucking reveal into season two.
2: And they kind of lulled us here for a few episodes like, all right, we're here. And then they hit us with this episode. Like, this is what we're going to give you for the next three. I just, I got this feeling that these next three or the last two or even the season finale is, we're going to look back and go, wow, what a great season because this was the payoff.
0: And it's funny you mention that because I almost feel like maybe the showrunners, the creators like Favreau and Filoni, they like got such a huge boner off last season because it was kept such a big secret. They're like, we fucking nailed it. We fucking kept Luke a secret. No one knew about it. There were no leaks. There were no spoilers. And they're going to try like, Let's try and do it again. Let's try and do it
1: again. Yeah, it's pretty sick.
2: I mean, why not, right? It's a huge. I mean, shift. Harrison
1: Ford and Disney are working together all the time, so he could easily show up and we could de-age him, and mm-hmm. problem solved. Oh so that'd be Love great.
2: it. I would be more excited about that than seeing fucking Luke
1: again. You mean then when you saw
2: Luke? Yeah, just like I then the when the way I saw Luke
1: him. shows up with that lightsaber. Display. Then when
0: you saw Luke? No, that was
1: that was top. Yeah, that was boner. I still have a boner from that. Actually, I need to go to the doctor.
2: <laughs> it's been
0: know. more than 7 hours now. Yeah.
2: Now that now that Ford is on the table, I'm just I don't know, him and Chewie showing up okay. delivering delivering Kylo Ren to Luke.
0: Holy shit! Oh man, that could be it. Like
1: taking him. To it has nothing attitude.
2: to do with any of this other show, but they could put it in there. And
1: well, if they give us Jar Jar showing how Grogu was saved, because that fan theory once I didn't know I wanted that till the internet started talking about it. Man, if yeah. they have, if they have, if they have the same actor in for Jar Jar and uh, uh, Kelleran, that'd be in the same season. <laughs> yeah, talking to each other.
2: <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. All right, lots to look forward to these last three episodes. Thank you guys for checking us out. We are the Bro Four Squad podcast for the American hero Nate Thurman and the mad scientist Brian Banner. I'm the mayor Jeff Hornacek. Uh Check us out on Twitter at Bro Force Squad. If you type in Bro Force Squad as three separate words on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere you can find us, you will find our content and everything that we've ever posted. And our squad blog is on our website, broforcesquad.com. Till next time, I need to get on Amazon and look for a ghillie suit that looks like the uh, swamp monster pirate from this episode you borrow mine
0: there will definitely be a Halloween costume out there for that this October
1: absolutely get in line now